you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Matt Hawkins of Kudos. Welcome, Matt. Yeah, hi, Jamie. Good to be here. So, obviously, we already know each other. Um, Kudos is an investment of outliers. We've been helping you as an advisor as well. Um, for at least the last year, maybe maybe a bit more now. Time goes quickly in the world of crypto. Um, but we would describe Kudos as a global compute network powering smart contracts, DeFi, and the internet. And on the surface, that sounds a lot like Ethereum. Um, and it's kind of vision for a world computer. But, you know, there are some big differences. Uh, in a way, you could say it's the the approach of Kudos is the reverse of what you see in blockchain, where instead of trying to apply blockchain to the cloud, you're actually applying traditional cloud to the blockchain. And rather than a very kind of narrow form of compute in the context of Ethereum with the Ethereum virtual machine, EVM, um, it's much more generalizable. So it's specialized, um, but also more generalizable in the kinds of compute that can be carried out, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, but the premise is many of us own uh, and run computers, businesses, and individuals that are capable of much more than we currently use them for. Um, and so really, Kudos is looking to unlock that value and compute um, for any number of different use cases. Um, so the kind of slightly longer description is, Kudos is intelligent multi-platform software enables users and businesses to mine cryptocurrencies outside of peak operating times or whilst your computer is idling, generating income whilst reducing impact to the environment. And as I said, your mining is just one, uh, one use case of what you can do with compute. So the reasons why I've got you on the show, as I said, obviously, I, I know you, the team, we've worked very closely with you, been really impressed with your progress. As an entrepreneur yourself, um, you've been involved in the internet generally and specific to infrastructure since the late 90s. So you are an internet OG, um, or at least a web OG. Um, and, you know, I've one of the reasons why we invested and partnered with you guys is because I've personally been fascinated with this idea of uh, a multiverse of specialist protocols, each kind of optimizing for inefficiencies in our world. And so, you know, compute is just one of those um, inefficiencies. And, you know, if you think about improving the um, capacity in the system or the utilization of the system, even by, you know, a few small percentage points, the, the impact could be huge, economic, societal. Um, and I know you're a very mission-driven CEO and firm. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so also traction, you know, we were really impressed even when we first started speaking with you way back that you already had users in a number of different geographies. I think currently if I'm going on the latest numbers, you are obviously already revenue generating, uh, users in over 145 countries and a, a, around 150,000 users so far, right? Yep. 
Um, partners like AMD, PlayStation, PlayStation Partners, who are you're running nodes, as I understand it. Outlier also runs a node. You've even got the ex-president of Sony PlayStation as an advisor, as well as the director of blockchain at AMD. 20,000 nodes, uh, 400K uh, TF flops of computing power. Um, so it's kind of you know ready for prime time. And you are now launching a tokenized, optimized, a token optimized instance of the network. And so again, I think, you know, why token, and what what is that playing? Uh, what role is that playing in the system, the economy, and why do you believe that's important to kind of uh, take it to its next level? So, as quick summary to your background, as I said, you've kind of been one way or the other involved with the internet for some time. Uh, starting back in 1997. And I believe even whilst you're at university, you founded your first company, setting up a, a computer distribution business, building and selling computers, uh, two companies. 91, you were at Map Computing. This is not your college. You were selling uh, software and computers through industry magazines and media. Um, you then had a stint in affiliate marketing generally, um, and there's a company called so there's Revenue Makers, there's one called UK Affiliates. I'm pretty sure I came across UK Affiliates at some point um, from my advertising days. And then you founded 4CL, where uh, you found a MD, and as that, that company matured, you became chairman. And that was a big chunk of your career from 2000 to 2016. Um, maybe we start there. Could you tell us? A little bit about 4CL and, and that journey. I believe you even had a an exit that came out of that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I started that kind of late 90s, early 2000, um, way before there was Amazon, Google, <laughs> Microsoft, any of these cloud providers. Um, and uh, it was actually quite difficult to get onto the internet if you wanted bigger infrastructure. Um, so we started providing that as a, a service, essentially kind of version one of cloud, if you think of it like that. Um, and that model worked you know, really well because obviously the internet was just taking off. Um, and we, we replicated that model. Uh, we ended up in about 55 data centers around the world, built our own data center. Um, we were the third largest data center network in the UK. Um, and uh, yeah, ended up providing about 1% of the UK's infrastructure. Uh, so yeah, that was over 16 years. So the, a lot happened on the internet from kind of version one up to effectively, you know, falling into web three at the end. Um, and, uh, while we were running that business, you know, we just saw huge amounts of waste of IT infrastructure. So, you know, we, we provided about one third of the UK service providers with infrastructure. Um, so data centers, uh, and hosting companies, they have about 30 to 50% spare capacity. But you've you've spent you've spent all the money on the data center and all that infrastructure, but it's just sat there. And you kind of have a sine wave that goes during the day of capacity, which is really hard to fill. You've then got the kind of consumer, you know, um, home users networks. We we provided we connected millions of users on that. Uh, and you just see, uh, you know, nighttime, early mornings, weekend, or while they're at work. Uh, Whereas the other way around now, everyone's at home working at home. <laughs> Um, but, you know, again, you've got those big gaps of capacity uh, and, and backbone providers, you know, you've got backbone providers, actually, the, the internet, what makes up the internet needs to, a, a well-run network 
you know, can peak at 80% spare capacity because you have to cope with DDoS attacks, you know, distributed denial of service attacks, um, different bandwidth patterns. Uh, so we're just seeing huge amounts of waste. And if you look at the lifetime of running a server, you know, it, it takes up more CO2 to build the data center and build the server than it does in its whole lifetime of running it. So if we can at least stop that first part and stop having to build these data centers at the speed that we do it today, um, you take the top 24 hyperscalers, um, they spend, well, last year they spent about 75 billion just trying to build new data centers and cloud platforms, trying to keep up with the demand of everything going online. Um, and that's continuing, you know, it's accelerating every, every year. Um, whereas if you look at how many devices at home, there's about one and a half billion games, PCs and consoles that are out there, you know, a good over 500 million of those are free at any point in time. And, and it's, it's just sat there, you've, you've bought this machine, you know, you, if you're gaming, you game in the evenings, but the rest of the time it's just sat there doing nothing. So it's a real crime just to not to use it. Uh, if you look at the uh, mining farm market, then um, you know a lot of it is doing proof of work if on the on the GPU rental side, and it's not you know it was needed for version one of blockchain. In, you know, in my opinion, it, it was kind of version one. How do we get scale? How do we get you know adoption? How, how do you get you know proof that uh, you know you can trust those networks? And version one was quite immature, like version one of anything. Um, whereas now, you know, a lot of the new networks are all moving to proof of stake. So we've, again, we've got tens of thousands of um, graphics cards, well, it's actually millions of graphics cards uh, that are just doing proof of work. And as Ethereum 2 comes along and, and other things move to proof of stake, um, you know, that is all that infrastructure that is available to take over what is running in cloud today. And then the other side is um, the service provider market. And, you know, like I said, there's, You've got anywhere from 30 to 80 percent spare inside that environment that is again doing nothing so we you know I, I realized in 2016 for the first time ever uh the technology was available to build it you know in in a in the way that you need to build it where you need containerization and being able to move this computing workload around um broadband connectivity is good enough for the first time you know in we couldn't have done this 10 years ago if people tried and if, you know the projects never you've got projects like Oink, which are fine for you know scientific and, and certain use cases but not for traditional compute particularly um and then you've also got kind of people just used to the sharing economy you know, we did a load of research and, and 80 percent of um the younger generation were up for sharing their computing to either make money for themselves or to donate it to charity um so it's kind of the market is ready and people are ready. So as all these things came together at the same time in kind of 2016, um, and we realized actually, you know, it's always been a dream to make use of this and let's come up with a greener cloud computing solution that's out there. So that's sort of where it all started from an infancy. Yeah, and so uh, 2017, you founded uh, Qdo, um, which is kind of the parent company of Qdos, the network. And um, around this mission, mission of, um, you know, making better use of the world's uh, computing power. So was was the insight of blockchain already there at the founding of Kudos, or um, did you know, that, that vision obviously initially predated blockchain, but that was just a, another technology that came along that you thought enabled this possibility of distributed 
compute, right? Yeah. Um, so yes, it was it was a realization that blockchain is actually the one of the first use cases that you can scale this. Um, so, so we looked at it and we realized, you know, what what gets people disincentivized? You know, why why wouldn't this work? And one of them is um, if you haven't uh, made 100% usage of that device when it's available, then you've got a disincentivized user to run your platform. And one of the big challenges for blockchain projects, uh, you know, if you're not purely mining, like Ethereum does, um, is how to monetize that spare infrastructure. So you've got this gap of kind of rewarding those users. And we realized, uh, you know, if we can take how the cloud computing world works today, and apply that to blockchain, there's two, well, there's a few things that we can do. One, we can bring the scalability of traditional compute. So um, projects like uh, Ethereum are, are great if you want to run a smart contract and run it inside a, an EVM um, and do a very limited set of code. But it's, you know, as you know, it's very costly because of the way it's designed. And you can only do certain things inside it, where, which, we, which you can't replicate in traditional compute. So we thought, okay, if we can bring what we know on how to build, you know, big global cloud platforms and infrastructure into blockchain, we can bring, you know, we can merge these two technologies together um, and, and, you know, build really what I think blockchain is one of the most powerful things to do is to bring real world compute, real world juice is just starting to see DeFi where real world is now coming into blockchain. You know, we can do the same from the compute perspective, and that's a bridge that I don't think has been particularly well achieved yet. Yeah, and of course, it's uh, ironic to many that the way that we power Web3 at the moment and its dApps are through things like AWS, like very centralized approaches to cloud. Um, so clearly, the idea that you would look to distribute um, the kind of cloud component, the compute component alongside everything else um, makes sense. So, so let's kind of go into the solution itself a little bit so people understand, you know, how, how you make this happen. And so the Kudo as a platform, um, firstly, it's interoperable with all blockchains, right? It's not kind of specific to one, it's not specific to Ethereum. Um, and effectively, it allows for what's described as a layer two Oracle service to offload compute to this more distributed, more secure um, platform. Can you talk us through, you know, how that functions? It's kind of key innovations. Yeah, sure. Um, so, if let, let's take Ethereum to start with. Um, you can use the network because it it is a you know it's a distributed compute network where you have access to resources on thousands of different networks, uh, thousands of different environments in you know it's well, it's live in about 145 countries at the moment. Um, so we we needed to match the distribution of blockchain uh, to be able to make use of it. So that that's how we've designed it, um, and what we have essentially is uh, a bridge. So the bridges we bridge our compute network onto other blockchains. Um, the first two going live are Ethereum and Algorand. Um, so for Ethereum, it enables uh, anyone to consume from a smart contract uh, any data resource or compute resources. Um, so, uh, as I've said, you know the, the cost currently 
uh, of gas fees is high uh, if you want to do something com top computationally intensive. So you, you can offload that onto the network via a compute um, oracle uh, onto our network, do the computation that you want to do, and then bring it back into the smart contract. So that's kind of the first stage from an Ethereum point of view. Um, to give you an idea, we have uh, data providers. So Crypto Compare, CoinMarketCap, for example, are two data providers um, going live on the network as, as running dApps. Um, and what that does is they can now provide their data feeds direct onto multiple blockchains. But you can connect directly into these data providers as well, rather than having to go through aggregators. Because a lot of these data providers are actually aggregators themselves. You know, CoinGecko, if we compare these other platforms, they're all aggregators. Um, so because you've now got the ability to connect directly to the data providers, and you can buy those resources through the smart contract, which isn't possible today, that kind of opens up the data market and lets each one of them run their own DAP and provide directly onto the other blockchains that we connect onto. And the advantage of that is that you can, as a developer, also run your own consensus. So you're not tied to the, you know, the, the data aggregators at the moment. Um, they, they do a lot of the aggregation or, or they may do the consensus actually on Ethereum, which is really computationally expensive. And you'll see you know, the cost of trying to get uh, a price feed from one of these providers can be really high. Whereas we are offloading all that cost onto our network, which is substantially lower. Um, and then you can choose all the validators or data providers that you want to run. So we're bringing the flexibility of traditional cloud um, onto these blockchains to access computing data. The other one um, that's going live next is Algorand, for example. Um, so Algorand's not a Turing, you know, it's a very low cost network, fast transaction network. That's what they've focused on. Um, but to do that, they've had to remove uh, a fair bit of the computational area. So what we're doing is we're working with their team to provide uh, full Turing complete, you know, compute workloads uh, where you can then run anything that you would in Go or, you know, JavaScript or whatever you want to run. Um, directly onto your smart contracts. So it enables developers on Algorand now to get the benefits of the fast speed of their network and low cost transactions, um, but also the benefits that they now can run and develop in whatever they want and connect into these data providers as well. And so how does um, ETH2 change that? Obviously, um, you know, time is speaking, I think it's 20 seconds. 22nd of November 2020. Um, they've uh, are going live, you know, this week um, with success by the looks of it. You know, how is this then still relevant in an ETH2 world? Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's really good to see the project progressing and getting to the next stages. Um, it still doesn't, and, and it's not been their goal to. You know, they they want to be that. Uh, well, the, you know, a distributed compute machine, but they're not connecting the way the current cloud computing work world uh, world <laughs> works. You know that there's you look at the size of the market; it's about two hundred billion a year of infrastructure services um, that are run on that market. The East two cannot run those workloads; they can run you know a tiny, tiny subset of it. You know, whereas we've taken actually everything that you can do in the real world of computing today you can now run. So, so it's perfect that we're now interconnected into ETH2 because you've now got a more scalable network, a lower cost network, and, and the advantages of compute. So 
rather than us really competing against these networks, we're complementing and enabling these networks to do things that they can't do today. Right, and that's because of the limita limitations of EVM, right? So irrespective of whether they, you know, proof of stake gets rid of the, the cost barrier to workload, it's still very narrow, narrowly defined in terms of the kind of compute that can be carried out on the network. Yeah, so, so we've essentially got two layers to our network. Um, we've got the first layer, which connects directly via the bridge, which is the uh, WebAssembly network, which runs across the validators. Um, and that uh, enables you to replicate you know, a, a lot of the things that you'd run in the smart contract. And then if you want to scale, uh, and this is why you need a two-tier network, because you have to architect it in a different way. Um, if you want to scale traditional compute, so we're working with uh, you know, AI providers, video rendering companies that buy in sort of thousands or tens of thousands, some of them, um, GPUs at a time or um, tens of gigabits of bandwidth, for example, then uh, you can't run that on the way you run you know, your, your core interconnected bridge into these blockchains. So we have a layer three network that enables us to scale anything that would run typically inside uh, a Docker or a VM. So let's, um, let's go a bit deeper. You mentioned a few different use cases there. Um, so as I understand it, you kind of break things down into four areas. We'll save the fourth one till the end. Um, uh, but the, the three to kind of go a little bit deeper into now, you've got miner, compute, and gamer. So can you talk talk us through, I guess, both how the, the type of um, capacity that uh, it can be leveraged from each of these different ecosystems, and then I guess the type of compute that you would you would be able to carry out leveraging these things? Yeah, sure. Um, so... If you look at any network, you've got two sides to it. You've got the supply side and you've got the demand side, you know, be it blockchain, be it traditional compute. Um, so we focused uh, on initially on uh, gathering supply. Um, so this is the end devices that, that run the network. Um, and to do that, you know, you have to, there's no point having uh, a network that is going to um, support you know, Ethereum and Algorand, these other networks, if you've just got hundreds or even just thousands of nodes, because it can't scale. So we, we focused on routes to market that were going to give us you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of nodes, um, which is what we've, we've been working on. And we're already on the tens of thousands. And certainly in the next few months, we'll be on hundreds of thousands of nodes. Um, and that approach was, like I said earlier, split into those three markets. So uh, we partnered with AMD probably nearly two years ago now um, because they are the best in the uh, processor, you know, CPU space, in my opinion, at least. But they're selling more processors <laughs> per month, you know, than, than Intel at the moment. Um, and uh, on the GPU side, you know, we knew what was coming. Uh, and you'd have just seen the release in the last couple of weeks of their new graphics cards, which all of a sudden you've got a really high performance graphics card, which can compete in that space as well. What that enables us to do is to really monetize gamers hardware. Um, so partnering with AMD, you know, we work with them and all of their gamers and you'll see kind of press releases of our partnership over the next few weeks, basically enabling millions of users around the world to um, monetize their hardware. And then they can use that to, you know, buy games or, or upgrade their hardware platforms like that. Um, uh, so that's a really strong partnership that we've got there. And is that a um, is that pre-install? 
How uh, does it work? On no, you, you, but you'll see it alongside uh, a lot of the other software that's out there. So it, it's kind of co, co-partnered, co-branded, um, which you'll see on there. Uh, and then we've got uh, other games platforms that are integrating our software. Um, so Ultra, if um, you know them, which is a brilliant blockchain uh, games platform, kind of a blockchain version of Steam that enables gamers to sell games in the secondary market. Um, and then the games developers uh, actually still get a cut of the sales every time that they get resold. So they've got big developers like Ubisoft and other platforms signed up. Um, it's our software that monetizes that computing capacity. So we, we provide a compute engine um, to their platform that, uh, you know, and then we, we actually pay them out in, in their token in that particular one. On the AMD one, uh, users will have access to our token as well. So that gives us millions of users that will have access to our token. Um, we've got other platforms like Nuco Cloud, which is a German cloud platform that's going live soon. Again, they're using our software. Um, so we've got a lot of these big cloud platforms and games companies that are now coming out, you'll see coming out over the next few months with all of our software. So we, we focused on building this technology that's going to you know, give us a big global network. And what our software does is, you know, it, it will fill that hardware either with computing that we build, you know, and, and manage to get. So with the AI companies that we're working with, we've been working with loads of other blockchain projects like Distributed Compute Labs, Noia Network, NKN, all these other projects that are building on us. Fetch.ai recently I saw as well, you did a partnership, another outlier uh, portfolio company. And the good thing for them is that, you know, we, we've got millions of nodes in the network. So if a, a provider says that, okay, I need 10,000 nodes around the world to run my software, you know, we can deploy that in seconds with what we've got coming up. Um, and there's no other network in the world that I know of that can do that at the moment. Um, so that's been our whole approach is to build that global compute network, but it, it supports other blockchains. We haven't focused on, you know, competing with the blockchains. Actually, we're partnering with all these blockchains. Understood. So uh, as you say, that kind of gives... Um... Uh, a good feel for the supply side. And one additional thing uh, I wanted to flag is that, you know, when you think about the, the PC gaming side, um, I know you guys have done several partnerships with like gaming cafes out in Asia and South Korea and stuff. So it's kind of not trying to necessarily onboard, you know, individual users, although of course that's possible through these partnerships, but it's kind of going for almost wholesale approach to um, the supply side. So let's look at the, demand side so what kind i mean of course it, it works with any kind of compute but you're clearly expecting you know certain types be that video rendering i think you mentioned you've already mentioned ai material science can you talk us through the different types of demand that you expect on the network and maybe link to any partnerships that you've got yeah sure so the the ones that we focused on initially uh were um, kind of batch and parallel based computing. So the reason for that is that we can, um, you know, you can split it up into thousands or tens of thousands of jobs and distribute the work out to the network, which is perfect for the sort of network that we focused on initially. Um, so AI, uh, well, video rendering, for example, um, every frame on a video, you know, and, and there can be thousands of frames depending on how long the film is, uh, Every one of those gets computed independently, um, and they could take up to you know two, three days to do that. Um, so our software can then distribute that out to all of these nodes and pay those users for that infrastructure. 
Um, we've also got uh, AI is a good one. So we're working with some AI companies in uh, well, China, um, Europe, America, um, and they uh, they typically actually want the devices 24 seven. Um, or if then, so we're working with data center providers and service providers to run that infrastructure um, and mining farms as well. So, you know, we, we can in, increase the revenues for mining farms when it's running our workloads by about 3x, uh, which is a big, you know, big increase for a, a mining farm in what they return. Um, and then uh, if we look at other workloads, uh, video streaming is actually a big one as well. Um, so we, you know, it works in two models. You've got edge streaming, and there's a lot of countries that have got gigabit broadband, uh, and you've got all of that spare capacity that's doing nothing. So you can actually earn, you know, hundreds, sometimes in excess of a thousand dollars a month just from your spare broadband capacity by running edge performance. So as well as us working with streaming companies, we're also working with some of the other streaming projects, you know, like LifePeer and these others to enable that. Um, and then uh, also with service providers. So they've got obviously huge amounts of global bandwidth. So we, we partner with companies like the Hut Group that uh, they provide a lot of the streaming for Microsoft, for example. Um, we're working with them to uh, make use of all their spare capacity around the world. Yeah, and uh, the edge uh, component is interesting for people to understand as well, because uh, maybe you can unpack it, but uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess the proximity of compute is increasingly important as we move into, I don't know, like spatial computing and stuff like that. Could you talk us through the edge um, concept? Yeah, uh, there's numerous reasons. Um, one is one is streaming. So uh, what you can do is if you're watching live content, you can run a single stream down to a, a local location and then use that as an edge node and stream to all those local nodes, which is much more efficient than every one of those streams going across a global backbone network. So it puts less strain on the broadband connectivity, but also means that you, know, you can make better use of that infrastructure for those providers. You've also got uh, things like edge computing that need low latency. So uh, gaming is a good example, actually. You know, if you want to do gaming, you, you generally want to be below 20 milliseconds um, to edge gaming, which to give you an idea, kind of um, London to Manchester is about eight milliseconds. So kind of double that. Uh, and that's as far as you want. So really, you need to provide nodes all the way around the world that can run these um, games to make sure that everyone's getting a really good user experience. And it's the same for virtual desktop services. Um, uh, 5G is a big one as well. So all of a sudden, you know, we now have low latency uh, connectivity that kind of follows us and depending on what services you want you've now got the ability to provide low latency services to pretty much anywhere so all of a sudden you know you're seeing huge increase in the demand for edge computing because now the networks actually support this model um, and everything's gone 4k and everyone everyone wants everything now <laughs> um, you know so it's also a right time just to start providing that and, and you can't do that as a Amazon or Google, because you, you're, you're typically centralized. You might have you know, 20 countries or zones that you run, but it's still quite a centralized service. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So, so clearly you've been able to get a good degree of success you know, without a token. Um, I know you're kind of building out the marketplace. So you focus primarily on the, on the supply side, but 
Like why why does this need a token? What does it optimize in this economy? Yeah. So if we're going to, uh, you know, we're providing a multi-blockchain um, solution. It's a multi-chain solution for providing computing data, which means we have to have our own economics um, rather than being tied to the economics of one of these blockchains. Um, and we have, you know, and each one of these is completely independent. So we have to create a bridge with our own token onto every one of these networks that we then connect. And that gives us access then to the whole ecosystem and then gives uh, that blockchain access to all of our data providers, um, um, you know, compute providers as well. So we, you know, we need to have uh, a single token that can float between, um, you know, uh, all of these blockchains. That also we can swap as well. So we're working with um, Algorand to enable users to swap their token directly between um, Algorand and Ethereum, for example. Um, so you can create uh, direct integration. And then a lot of the projects that we're working with uh, are built on ERC twenty. So that enables us to atomic swap from their infrastructure to ours, enabling anyone um, that is using or running these projects to natively buy, uh, you know, compute resources, um, smart contract resources, data resources directly through us. So it, it gives us the full flexibility to provide this into blockchains, actually. Yeah, and so as I said at the, the top of the interview, you've, you know, you've got big partners, AMD, Sony PlayStation, several others, um, actively participate in the network. How did you educate them, convince them about a a blockchain and b a token, and you know exposing their users to a token effectively? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, AMD is a, a good one. You know, the, what what we help them do is to uh, really for their users to generate revenue from the hardware that they're buying from AMD. Because AMD is extremely efficient from a power perspective. So that enables um, you know, our software to make their hardware more efficient. So it's extremely attractive for hardware producers. Um, you know, we work with other hardware producers you'll see coming out. Um, so it's better for the user and it's better for the hardware producer. Uh, and you know, realistically, they're, they're seeing adoption of blockchain and cryptocurrencies as well. You know, it's becoming normalized. It's not the scary days that it was a few years ago. You know, regulation has is, is, uh, enabled it in most countries. You see an acceptance of PayPal and, you know, the Indian banks can now hold it. And, and uh, you know, just it's becoming the norm. So, you know, and they're technology companies at the end of the day. So we're now at that point, you know, literally this year, I think we're at that point that is the first time it's going mainstream and for it to be mainstream, you know, it's something that they need to support. Chris Deering, for example, who is on our board, um, you know, he, he, he's on Wikipedia, he's listed as the father of PlayStation. So, you know, he ran PlayStation one and two. Um, he actually got SETI at home running on the PlayStation two and it became one of the biggest compute networks at the time. And it was more of a, a test and a use case. But you know, he's got a passion of us being able to use our software and to make use of all that spec capacity. There's over 100 million you know, PlayStation 4s out there, over 50 million Xboxes, and it's just sat there doing nothing. So if we can either enable people to make money from it or donate it you know, for charitable purposes as well, then you know, that, that's really good, rather than keep building these data centers like we've been talking about. So they totally get 
the model. You know, it, it's way greener than the current sustainable solution of building data centers. Um, and, you know, it really it's returning the rewards back to people to monetize their hardware. Yeah, so I, I said earlier, you know, you are a very mission oriented founder and company, and of course now network. Uh, you alluded to some things there, you know, donating compute to particular charities, um, the the environmental uh, benefits of you know this approach to um, unlocking compute rather than building new data centers. Um, could you talk us through that mission that that drives you and and the impact, environmental or economic impact, societal impact? Do you think? that Kudo could have, you know, should it, should it be successful? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of them is the, well, if you look at the, you know, the data, building the data centers, building the service, if we can even halve the amount that's done, which we could, if we can make use of what's out there at the moment easily, um, that, that has a substantial global impact on, on the effects of CO2, both from a transport perspective and a, and a building of, of this infrastructure. Um, you've also then got the flexibility, you know, of being able to, if you just want to run your compute workloads in green locations that are purely hydro or, you know, um, wind or any other energy sources, you can choose that. So, you know, let's, let's actually run it. So then you're hundred percent carbon neutral compared to what we're running today. Um, and we have integrated the ability to do, uh, the carbon credits for locations where it is standard um, energy, but we, we haven't uh, put that live yet. Um, but that what we want is basically a, to build a global compute network that's completely carbon neutral. Um, and you know, my last data center, all the power that we bought was green power. You know, it's something that the, the current model isn't sustainable. You know, if we keep going at this rate, we, well, as you're seeing, you know, it is having a massive negative impact in the environment. Um, and then from a uh, kind of a, a charity perspective, actually, you know, before I started the business, we realized that if we can use this computing that's in the world, and even if it's half of it, if half of it's doing traditional compute and half of it's being used, you know, to generate money for the charities, then that's a substantial impact because, you know, we, we will be on, you know, with the partnerships we've got going live, we know we're going to be on millions of users in the next, um, you know, 12 to 24 months and millions of devices. So, you know, if, if we can get just 15, 25% of them donating those funds, is it, these are two ways of doing it. Either, let's say a, a games PC and it's doing computing, so in hundred, $200 a month. Um, if you could donate half of that to charity and you choose the charities you want to support. So we signed up a load of charities to prove the model and make sure it all works. Um, then that's a massive impact. Um, and then on the other side, if you can actually, you know, as we've got, full computing launching, which is publicly being available over the next few months. We can then run actually these, you know, the research and genome sequencing and, and the other cancer research, you know, these types of uh, charity-based projects, rather than them running it on the large cloud providers, you know, which can cost 10, 20 times what's worth a dollar of, you know, revenue on that device, they might have to spend $10 or $20 to go spend that with Amazon. So the material value to those charities, you know, is really significant. So that, that's what, you know, we want to do. We've got two sides of it. We want to come up with a greener solution of cloud computing than what's available today um, and enabling that into blockchain. 
and then also you know getting people to actually donate part of what they're earning to the charities yeah and look you know i think it's really inspiring stuff i heard a um a quote uh over the last few years around the carbon footprint of the cloud industry and it was something like an equivalence of the global aviation industry probably not now but at its at its peak pre-covid um just so people have an understanding of the kind of scale of of that and its impact for our our targets of cutting emissions um Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You know, you guys have been a pleasure to work with over the last year. Uh, I, I really believe in the, the the impact of this, the societal impact of it, and um, and also economic impact as well, right? Because you know, if if we can lower the the burden and barrier to compute, it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be uh, therefore, um, you know, we can we can make it more impactful into our lives as businesses and governments and, and even citizens so um it's something that i can really get behind i'm sure a lot of listeners too so thanks for coming on the show um good luck with the launch i believe it's imminent probably don't want to commit to a date on the podcast but uh, hopefully uh this side of uh 2020 yeah yeah follow on twitter or telegram for the latest updates i think on that one <laughs> do, you, do you want to share um twitter handles or any, any other things so people can follow uh, the, yeah the, the best thing is to go to kudos.org so it's C-U-D-O-S dot org. So uh, kudos is Latin for coin. So that's why, that's why we went with that. Um, and uh, yeah, and then on there you can join the Telegram or Twitter. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Matt, and good luck with the launch. Pleasure. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.